keep something in mind. If God ever gives you something, one of two things may be very, very accurate. Number one, it might only be for you and not everybody else. And number two, it may not be the time for you to share it with everybody else if it is for everybody else. It's something to keep in the back of your mind. If you're going through your devotions and the Holy Spirit lays something on your heart, I love how Brian is very transparent in his sermons and everything else, but I promise you he has some things in his journal that are for him and God that are not for sharing, right? So there are other times that you're going to be going through your own devotional time. You need to know there, you don't need to go share everything God's given you with everybody all the time, okay? The other part of it, and I've, I've seen this way too many times, I'm sure Mark has in ministry, is when people say, I got a word for the church now, right? Now. It can be in the middle of a sermon. We had this one late, never mind, I'm not going to go there because it's getting recorded. So, <laughs> so realize there are some times that God plants a seed in your heart and it's not supposed to harvest now. There, there, there's a phrase in, in the, in the, um, that farmers know really well. It's plant, cultivate, harvest. It's the law of the harvest. In our microwave instant gratification society, we've been taught plant harvest. You know the middle step of cultivating is time, work, effort, hard, sweat, pain, getting rid of the bugs. There's a lot of stuff in that cultivate, but I don't feel like we're very willing to cultivate for the harvest. We want it now. This message was given to me literally before Christmas. It's been a long time. And, uh, and, and some of you haven't even heard me speak up here. Just get ready for some fun stuff. Um, because I, I really, I love the staff at this church. I've been in ministry since before I was born. My, um, Brian and I are brothers, and our dad was, our parents were pastors our whole lives. And I've never, and you hear this from Mark, let me please echo this. You, you'll, you have never and will never experience a church like this or a staff like this. And that is not a statement of comparison. That is a statement of uniqueness. Because many, many times the way we compare things is we tend to squelch the thing that is good to raise up the thing that's not. What I'm telling you is we can raise up churches that are all good to the rising tide raises all ships, right? This church staff is so unique because, all, because the members of the staff that come up here to speak are all different, right? If you've been here a while, you've seen different teaching styles. You've seen, I, I'm, I think my favorite of all time is when Brian said one time, um, I think Pastor Mark gave the sermon on sex to me because he didn't want Chris to give an illustration, right? So, and, and uh, again, CLF, it's fun stuff. So I, I give a lot of illustrations. I give a lot of practical, um, how do we walk this kind of thing out? We're going to dive through this. There's two circles in your life. I'm going to read a couple things. <laughs> yeah, some of you will get that on the way home. So let me, let me, let me read a couple statements here. Would you agree that stress would be much easier to reduce if we could narrow down some causes. Like, hey, hey, have you ever experienced stress in your life? And that may seem like a, well, of course. But how many of us deal with stress because we deal with stress? Right? It's just, I'm, I'm stressed. Why are you stressed? I, 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 and you start stuttering. Like, I don't even know. I'm just stressed, right? Would you agree that faith would be much easier in our lives if we could find some specific ways to apply it? Have you ever heard certain phrases in church and you go, what does that mean? Right? Like, what does that mean? And something simple like you'll hear around here all the time, God's got this. Right? I'm going to explain what that means a little bit deeper here in a second. Wouldn't it be great if we could find some more ways to apply our faith? Well, let me challenge you one thing. If, if you're having a hard time applying your faith, keep coming. 
Because what's going to happen is Pastor Mark's going to say the right sermon at the right time, and something's going to click. But if you're not here for that, then you're going to stay in confusion. That's why association is so vitally important. So I'm just going to stick on that. What, here's something else to think about. Wouldn't ha- cause we, don't we tend to cubby whole things in our head? Like stress is an earthly thing, and faith is a godly thing. Like we tend to cubby whole things, don't we? But wouldn't less stress help our spiritual life? Have you ever thought about that before? If I, wasn't, if I could figure out a way to decrease some of the stress I'm feeling on my shoulders, do you think it might be a little easier to pray? Have you ever felt like the heavens are brass, the phrase is, because it just got, are you even hearing me? Sometimes I think it's not the heavens are brass, it's there's brass right here, right? It's a mindset that we have. Now, here's the other question. Don't you think that having a stronger faith life would help you physically, right? Like, is this making sense? So part of my goal this morning is to get rid of some of the compartmentalization that we do, some, some of these cubby-holing ideas that we do. This whole thing came to me to show you when this happened. This came to me during the SEC championship game is when this idea came. Here's the, here's the reason. I love football. And for those of you who are not football fans, stick with me for like three minutes and then we'll get back to like spiritual stuff, right? S- even though for some people, football is way too spiritual. So, so here's the deal. Football games, there's two responses that I see when something goes wrong in a football game. Some like, and this drives me nuts. In our victims in society today, if you know anything about football, when the quarterback throws a pass to the receiver, they're supposed to catch it and somebody's guarding him. Well, if he misses the ball, I don't care if there was no physical contact, that guy is normally going to get up and go, where's the flag? Where's the flag? Like you, if you've ever watched football, you've said, where's the flag? He didn't touch you. He did nothing wrong. You're trying, what, what are we really doing? Pointing a finger of blame and saying it's his fault I didn't catch that ball, right? So that's the one response. Then the captain of the team, you can tell when the captain of the team does something wrong because you know what happens? He stands up and he goes this. It's on me. That was me. Right? That's on me. We'll come back to that. In a football game, there are a lot of things that are beyond our control, right? I, I, sometimes I look at Tyler for some of this kind of stuff. He was, a, he, he, he was playing for UAB for a time, so we'll, we have some fun stories. I just like to hear stories. Like, if you've got fun football stories, just take me aside and tell me. I love good football stories. The weather and wind, would you agree that's beyond our control? Right? The referees. I've heard it said you've got you've to play above the referees, right? You can't control the other team. You can't control the coach's attitudes, right? If you're a player, you can't control if your coach woke up on the wrong side of the bed or not. You can't control the quality of the field. You can't control the crowd noise or the interaction of the crowd. Would you agree there are some things in a football game that you can control? You can control your performance, You can control when you have a good play, forgetting it and playing the next play. You can control the play calling and if you run the right route. You can control getting psyched up, your attitude, your excitement level. You can control learning the playbook. Here's the point. You go to the next slide here. In life, there's two circles. And we're gonna work with technical difficulties on both sides. There's two circles. Here's what I want you to see. And I'll just tell you before the slide comes up. One circle is things you can control, and one circle is things you cannot control. So this morning, this is is our bucket for things, illustration, right? This is our bucket of things that we cannot control. You'll notice that it is much, much bigger 
then the circle of things we can control. Two circles. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's the point today. If I have a central point, I think, I think we have the next slide. Here's what I want you to see. The way to increase faith in your life and at the same time to decrease stress is taking personal responsibility for the things you can control and trusting God for the things that we cannot control. Basic idea, how many of us have a hard time with this every day and I'll be the first one to raise my hand, right? So we're going to talk about how this works. We're going to talk about these two circles. Isn't it interesting how, how often we do precisely the opposite? We focus on and stress about the things we cannot control, and then we blame the externalities. We blame everything else. Where's the flag for the things that we can control? It's so easy. It's so easy. I went ahead and put this next slide up here. Some of you may recognize this. Serenity prayer. Thursday nights, we see this, don't we? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Go to the next slide. Let's, let's, let's expand that just a little bit. God, grant me the serenity, or the definition, the state of being calm and peaceful. How many of us have the idea that most of our lives are not spent in those two words? calm and peaceful. But here's the crazy part. According to Philippians chapter 4, that's God's gift to you, is a peaceful and a calm life. So the question is, why do we not live in serenity? I'm going to propose this morning that the reason we don't is because the biblical principles of controlling the things you can and giving God the things you can't are not being followed. I'm going to give you a whole lot of scripture verses here in a minute that I want you to write down that we're going to go over. Give me the serenity to accept or trust you in the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, or that I have the ability to, and the wisdom to know the difference. So very often, here's something I want you to write down. Every thought is a seed. Every thought is a seed. I uncover this because we're going to tie communion into this morning's message. But as we do, we're going to have some fun. I'm going to put these up here. Every thought is a seed. What do I mean by that? I mean, every thought that you have, every single moment of time, I'm getting way ahead of my notes, but I'm, I'm okay with that. Every single thought that you have, you're spending your time, you're spending your energy, either on things you can control or on things you can't control. Logic right? I would propose where a lot of stress comes from is when we have our thoughts, we go, and so much of our time and our peace is taken because our thoughts stay on things that we're supposed to be trusting God for. Here's a whole bunch of scriptures I want you to write down. We're going, to we're going to read some. We're going to walk, walk through some. I don't even think I have these up here because Holy Spirit's given these to me since it was written. All right? First of all, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Simple verse that many of you know. 
It's, and, and I'm actually going to read this out of the New Living Translation. You may have a different translation. This is one we use with our teenagers up there. I just want you to hear, because so, some of us know these scriptures so much in other versions. Like, I just want you to hear them a little differently. So you might have heard, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In this one, it says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of what we cannot see. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now let's read Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. This is some of my favorites. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Would you, th- would you agree that spending mental energy on things we cannot control would slow our spiritual walk down? Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and protects our faith. Oh, it's a good, it's a really good definition. He initiates and perfects our faith. Here's the cool thing. Ah, I got to focus on not getting ahead of notes. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Let's go Old Testament for a minute. Here's one of my favorite, and you can just write it down because we're not going to flip to every one of these. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep in perfect peace, i read it again, you, God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. But so often we use our thoughts not to fix them on Christ and to give it to God or God's got, God's got this. God's got this. This is the definition of faith is understanding that you can't control everything. In fact, we're about to talk about the only three things you can control. Everything else is beyond your control. And the time and energy you spend on the things you can't control, number one, it robs you of that time and energy that you could be spending on things you can control. And let's just agree, a seed on hard ground is not fruitful. I'm going to propose this morning that the increase of stress and anxiety and depression in our country today is because we don't know how to control our thoughts. And I'm not saying that there's not clinical reasons. Let's set that aside. There's no reason to have the amounts of stress and anxiety in our country today based on this. Now, please understand this. This is not made or created. The Holy Spirit did not give me this to beat anyone up. Would you agree it does no good for anybody in CLF to stand up here and intentionally offend any of you? It's a logical statement, but can can we just agree with this? I'm trying to help give you some reasons that there is a way for you to increase your faith and decrease stress all at the same time by doing what's set. Here's another verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, take every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Chris, I don't even know how to do that. Well, there's two responses to that statement. Quit or try. There's two responses. Just quit trying and just live in, live in all your stress and bathe in it and enjoy it. Or practice. Practice. That's one of the things we're going to talk about. Here's another verse. And you know a couple of these because I focus on them all the time. One of my favorite stories. I'm, I'm, I'm re- I've recently started attending a group to help me become a better public speaker because there are some things that I really want to get better at, and one of them is telling stories. I'll get up here and talk all day, but some, sometimes 
like people want to hear stories. Here's one. There's a pastor that constantly every week preached the same sermon out of John 3.16. It was the same text. It was the same sermon. It was the same three points. The congregation was great the first two weeks. Third week, they got a little bored. Fourth week, they're starting to get agitated. The fifth week, they're like, somebody's got to do something, right? So somebody walked up to the pastor and said, when are you going to preach something besides John 3.16? He said, when you get it, <laughs> right? When you get it, like when it sinks in, when you start acting on it. So what I would say is we live in a society, filter, where the church is transforming to culture instead of being transformed by the renewing of their mind. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2, should be a verse you never get tired of because that should be a verse you're constantly striving to do every day. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are we renewing our mind by focusing on the things we have zero control over? You answer that. It's not for me to answer for you, okay? The last one that I'm going to talk about every day for the rest of my life, I feel like it's my life verse, is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Be anxious for nothing. Notice imperative statement, which means a command. Be anxious. Now, would, would, do you think that God in his almighty power would command us to do something that's not possible? Doesn't even make sense, Right? If he commands us in his word, then it's possible. Now, here's my number one statement of this whole thing. None of this is easy, but all of it is worth it. If you could decrease your stress level by 25% and increase your faith 25%, I know we can't measure that, but wouldn't you live a better life? Wouldn't that help? Well, then what I'm going to encourage you this morning, where are you spending your mind seeds? Where are you planting your seeds of thought and energy? Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You know why a lot of us are not transformed yet? Because we're trying to do this by ourselves. Let your requests be made known to God. Then he, notice all the whatsoever things are true and pure and holy and just. Think on these things. That comes after let your request be made known to God or give it to God. God's got this. Let's dive into this. There's only three things you can control. I think it's on our next slide. Chris, you've talked about this before. I'm going to say it till we get it. The three things you can control are your inputs, your attitudes, and your actions. That's the only three things. And if you're like, well, Chris, there's some other things. Feel, hey, we'll have a conversation later. I have no problem admitting if there's something else. But here's what I'll tell you. How cool would it be if 100% of your mental energy would be spent on things that when you plant, produce the greatest things in your life? The law of planting and harvesting is very, very true. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap, right? Whatever a woman sows, that will she also reap. Let's talk about our inputs for a minute. Inputs are simply the information that we put into our minds. Everything we put into our minds influences our lives. Everything. And this is not going to be a rail against television or movies or cell phones. It's just a fact. Here's, here's a really good statement I've done before. Finish, finish the song. Here's a story. Keep going. Stop. Hold on. Did you watch Brady Bunch last night because you knew I was going to talk about that this morning? 
Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you saw Brady Bunch? Number one, marketers know what they're doing. Number two, everything that comes into your mind stays, and you will receive a harvest. I imagine Brady Bunch, you probably haven't gotten the greatest harvest, but you do know a song. You do know a song. There's people that tell me they can't memorize scripture, but they can sing 14 theme songs. What that tells me is that they're inputting the theme songs more than they're inputting scripture. Sorry, that was not in my notes. Listen, this, this is not meant to be harsh. I'm going to come from a hope side in a minute. We're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about how do we implement this. But we've got to understand this. Your inputs are under your control. And when they're not, because that's what I hear a lot. Well, Chris, I don't get to choose the people I work with. Well, that's very true. Okay, let me step back. When you can control your inputs, what goes in? When you can control it, what goes in? That's, that's up to you next. And we, I, I, we could go, this is a whole other sermon. We're not going to go there. Number two is your attitude. I know it's not a, not a popular idea, but circumstances do not control your attitude. He made me mad is a lie. She made me mad is a lie. My mom's in the hospital, therefore I need to be depressed is a lie. You control your attitudes. Your circumstances do not. People do not. Your past does not. You control your mindset today. Go back to 2 Corinthians 10.5. I take captive every thought, therefore I could blame, I could ask where's the flag, I could toss, because notice, we spend mental energy here, and then we blame and deflect here. What is deflection? It's when I should take the responsibility, but instead I blame Sean. Don't you think that increases some stress? Like I've used this example before, but it's a remote control of your life. If Brittany has a remote control, who's in charge of her television? Well, but not if she gives control to Mark. Well, something Mark said made me mad. Now, all of a sudden, she's given control of her mind up to Mark. It's deflection. It's, I don't want to spend the mental energy to work on myself. Therefore, I'm going to deflect it. We don't understand how much stress that increases in our lives. We're not understanding that blame and deflection and transposition, which is another psychological term that we're not going to go there. But the idea of you not taking responsibility, let let me put it on me. When I don't take personal responsibility for my attitude, I cannot change. I cannot change. Please understand this. Not choosing is a choice. When I don't choose to take my thoughts and control this, and Chris, you're focusing a lot on the, you're created body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects the other. So I think we've done a disservice when we haven't talked about stress. And I'm not talking about we, I'm talking about we. You need to spend your thoughts on the things you can control, and your actions are one of those. I talk to a lot of people. <laughs> Mentoring sessions are fun. When I suggest something to somebody, and the first things out of their mouth are, well, he, or well, she, or in my marriage, when my wife could suggest something, and I'm like, well, you. Every time I do that, I give the control of my life to someone else. I'm spending my mental energy not focused on myself, and I will not change. I cannot change unless I spend my time and my mental. One of my favorite statements that I ever heard on an audio was a lady was talking to wives about their husbands, about their relationships. And she said, wives, let me challenge you with something. And if you're married in the room, or even if you have kids, or even if you're single, 
because this applies to this entire principle. She said, wives, your husbands only have a certain amount of mental energy and time and capacity. He could either spend that fighting you or chasing your future. I'm going to say the same thing to you. You only have, and that's not a criticism, that's just a fact. We all only have 24 hours in our day, right? We all only have a little bit of mental energy that we can spend in our day. We choose, is it on me or where's the fly? What am I spending my mental energy for? Am I spending it on my attitudes? Three is actions. This sounds obvious, but how many of us have reasons? Well, I did that because. There's a word for that. It's called a justification. I know why I did this. You know, it's funny. If Mark and I did the same thing, I'm going to judge myself on my motives. Well, I had a reason, but I'm going to judge him on his actions. Well, you shouldn't have done that. I'm going to give myself a pass because I had a reason. The only three things you can control are the things that go into your head, how that creates your actions or your attitudes, and how your attitudes create your actions. What are you doing to change those things? I was having a conversation. This is later in my notes. I was having a, I was having a conversation with a friend recently. Not in this room, and they're probably not going to hear the recording. And I, I've heard a lot of people, this is a soapbox. For those of you who know, I love soapboxes. I can't stand listening to someone tell me about how they are. It's just the way I am. It's just what I do. It's just my mindset. I'm a redhead. I'm Irish. I'm blind. I'm old. I'm young. <sighs> There's a book that talks about the idea of excusitis. It's a terrible disease because it gives us all the excuses why we're not doing what we should be doing. I had a mentor that told me this just this weekend. He said, don't tell me what you're doing, right? Or don't tell me what you can do. Don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you will be able to do. What are you working on to be able to do these things? Well, I'm just a depressed person. What are you doing to push beyond that? Because if you tell me the way you are, I can already tell you your future. There's going to be no difference in 10 years in the way you are now. Unless we take some mental thought and energy, do what 2 Corinthians 10 very clearly states, and take this, there, there's a phrase that goes beyond. It says, take every thought into captivity, we don't want to hear this, to the obedience of Christ. How am I supposed to be living? Well, I, I just don't have any joy. I'm just a depressed person. Is that obedience to Christ? Is that a mental pattern that the Bible says we're supposed to have? Well, I'm just worried. I'm scared all the time. We're going to get to that in a minute. My Bible says God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Chris, that's hard. I know, but don't you want to increase your faith? Don't you want a little stress taken off? The one I'm telling you is you've got to take a little more responsibility over your thought patterns. I love listening to Pastor Mark talking to us this morning about his mom. And he said, I can't control any of this. But what I do know is that God's, God's got this. If he takes her from me, you know what? It's a realization that we're all going to die, but he's going to work his best through it. Well, can God just come and get rid of death? And once and for all, he already has. It's called heaven. And one day we're going to graduate there, and we're never going to experience death again. My dad's already there. He had to die once, and he's done. He's finished. No pain, no death, no anything. Like, ah. Dang, I still got that one to look forward to. But here's the cool part. While I'm here, I have a certain amount of mental energy left. If you're still breathing, you got more spoons. 
you got more mental energy. When you go home today, you're going to spend mental energy on something. And it will either be on things you can control or things you can't control. So I'm going to give a disclaimer before this next part. I'm just about done. I'm going to give a disclaimer here. Again, I do not want to offend or hurt anybody with this because I'm going to talk about worry just for a second. We all go through times and experiences of worry. This is not a criticism for it. This is a understanding that we all experience it. But there is a cultural norm that is accepted today that we, it's okay for us to live in a constant state of worry and fear that is included with stress and anxiety and everything else. When none of this is God's, can we just raise our, are we under the understanding that worry is not part of God's plan for our life? Like, are we all on the same page here? That's not part of his plan. I just want Garrett to live in worry all day, every day. That's my plan for his life. Zero scripture based on that. So here's the deal. Worrying about things we cannot control. I think this is on the next slide. I don't even know what my slides are. But I think I had this one up here. Go to the next one. Here. I want you to see this. Worrying about things we cannot control is at best a waste of time and energy, and at worst, it's a cancer that pumps stress and anxiety into every area of our life. And I'm talking about consistent, all right? We all have worry from time to time, but we've been taught that that's the right way to live, that it's okay, I'm just a worry, I'm just a worry wart. We've even got a phrase for it, all right? Living in a habitual state of worry, I'm gonna propose something, it's actually a lack of trust. This is what we worry about. I don't know about you, I've never spent, to my knowledge, I don't think I've spent much of any time worrying about the things I can control. Right? I may may think about it, I may give mental energy to it, but I'm not worrying, oh good, oh gosh, I'm scared, Sean. I'm really scared I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to, I'm going to knock Laura off the bed somehow. Like my actions are, I'm, I'm really scared I'm going to have a bad attitude tomorrow. Normally, I just wake up with a bad attitude. And then I okay it because I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I just did a blog post on Mondays and Fridays. I can tell the joy, the amount of joy that somebody has in their life based on their attitudes about Mondays and Fridays. Go read the blog post. But the basic idea is if you look forward to Friday so much and dread Mondays, you've accepted a cultural norm when Jesus says that every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. And when you dread Monday, you're adding stress to your life through your attitude. Look forward to Friday. I had fun sleeping in and then going to find ours yesterday and seeing Seager Baird like, and Kaylin Barnett knock everything out of the way. That was awesome. I enjoyed my weekend. But if I can't enjoy Monday, then I'm not spending any mental energy here trying to change my attitude. Are, are we on the same page? Worry is when we spend tons of mental energy over here. Here's the three statements I've got written down. Worry, a consistent attitude over time of worry. It's kind of like a pet. We tend to treat it like a pet. Because today, if any, like, (laughs) why should I have to give a, okay, soapbox. Why should I have to give a disclaimer about offending somebody over talking bad about worry? For the love of everything, why should I be worrying about hurting somebody's feelings when I talk bad about a cancer that's killing our attitudes? This may, it's like a pet. 
We've almost gone, oh, don't touch my worry. This is just the way I am. Fine. You'll be worrying when you're 80. If you want to change, you've got to change. Right? Like something's got to give. I, I run into people who want financial counseling. It's like, great. What about curbing your spending here? Well, I can't do that. What about cutting out your eating out? Well, I gotta have my I gotta have my drinks. Enjoy your financial situation. It's gonna be the same in 30 years. If you're not willing to put any time or energy into your mental state, it's gonna be the same in 30 years. And you will experience a constant lack of faith because you haven't learned how to give this to God. Worry is a lack of trusting God's character. Worry is a lack of trusting that God is powerful enough. Worry is a lack of trust in God's sovereignty. But worry can be eliminated by practicing trust. I want you to write that down. Worry can be eliminated by practicing trust. Does practicing mean mastering? Has anybody in here mastered faith? Mastered trust in God? If anybody has, I think Pastor Mark has. And I think he's going to tell you he's got a little ways to go. We're all practicing trusting God on a consistent basis. Please hear me. But because we have, but because we have so much mental energy invested into our worry, sometimes I think we don't want to let go of the things that we should be trusting God with. I've got so much time into my worry. Like, have you ever met somebody who has to stay awake on a plane because they've got to will it up? Like, the only way this plane, I've seen that in movies, like, the only way this plane's staying up is if I stay awake and I'm focusing on the plane staying up. I feel like that's the way we are about our worry. If I give this to God, who else is going to care about it? Well, let's just be straightforward for a minute. I think sometimes, this is nowhere in my notes, so just hear this. This is the Holy Spirit for somebody. I think sometimes if I don't worry about it, who is? Right? If I don't worry about it, who's going to care? My mom has a list of physical things that she's doing. You know where she is today? She just flew to Oklahoma to speak at a church this morning, though, know, to be there for one of her three missionary associates that she has working under her now after she was ordained a week and a half ago in Mobile. And she has all these reasons why she shouldn't be able to do that. But you know what she's done? Hey, cancer, this is where you belong, and I'm going to give it to God. Hey, I've gone blind in one eye. This is where this belongs. Why should I focus on something? My mom is one of the most close to God people in the world that can do some of this. But do you think she got it by osmosis? Do you think she just woke up one day and realized, oh, I should just not worry about anything? We still have to talk her off the cliff when it comes to some things. Mom, you're going to be, I know this pastor canceled on you, but hey, you're trusting him for cancer. Can't you trust him to speak Sunday? We, this happens to all of us, guys, but here's the point. Practice trust. When the thought comes and you're tempted to worry about something, put it in one of these two. I want you to get this mental picture. I like using illustrations because it gives you something to picture. Here's your mental thought when you go home today. You're going to be tempted to put this and worry in things you can't control, but you need to ask, where should this go? If it should go in things I can't control, then I refuse to focus on it and dwell on it. Did you know you cannot determine the thoughts that come into your head? but you have 100% capability to determine what thoughts you dwell on and replay in your head. Have you ever had something bad happen to you that you replay time after time after time after time? No wonder bitterness is the harvest. We planted all the seeds, right? 
no wonder worry is the harvest today because we planted all the seeds. Let's practice trust. Here's how it works. I think I have one more slide. Check this out. Hope comes in embracing and trusting God's character, his sovereignty, and his strength. Well, Chris, I don't know those things. It's because you're not in the word of God enough to know him. You need to know his character. You need to know you can trust him. I got to be perfectly honest with you guys. My personal feeling is that worry is abounding in the church today because we don't really believe that God can or God will. That's really what it is. (laughs) I feel like I'm just like combining 16 of my soapboxes this morning. I want the church to be different than everybody else. When somebody watches your lifestyle, the words that come out of your mouth, your attitude, can they forget being a Christian? Can they just tell that something's different? I just want to tell our students all the time, is there anything that makes you stand out from everybody else? We're supposed to be the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We should be abounding, the Word of God says, in those gifts more than everybody else we know. Yet my opinion is, that because we don't give these things to God and we don't spend energy here, we don't even have the mental energy to focus on those nine things anymore. Because all of our time and mental energy is being spent by the enemy distracting us. Because he knows that if you can master self-control, you're going to do a massive dent into his kingdom. If you can master joy, if you can practice it again and again. Here's the next part. Hope, you've already read it comes in the recognition. I love that word so much. Those on Thursday nights, what's, somebody tell me step number one. Admit. What does it take even before you admit? Recognize. Recognize. You've got to recognize that I'm powerless. You've got to recognize that my hope comes from trust in him, that my, excuse me, that my tomorrow can be better, right? Hopes and real, realize, I skipped one, sorry. Hope comes in realizing the power and authority we've been given in our three areas of recognition. I don't like the phrase, God's going to take care of all of it. He has given us very specific responsibility to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He did not say the Holy Spirit's going to come and take control of your attitude so you're happy all the time. He never said that. He never promised he was going to say, he was going to come in and say, Sean, I'm going to make you read your Bible every day. Never says that. It's your responsibility. Your responsibility. But hope comes in understanding that you can change that. Tomorrow can be better than yesterday. Hope comes from two things. Responsibility and action over the things we can control. And faith and trust over the things we can't. Mike, if you'll come on back up. We're going to have communion. And this is going to be very specific. You know why Jesus, I believe Jesus said, remember me? Because a lot of times we don't. It's a command to remember him. You want to know how the rest of the world lives their lives? Is they live their life doing whatever, handling whatever comes, And therefore, they don't even know how to trust God. 
You may say, Christian, you haven't told me. I've, I've told you enough to start practicing. When a thought comes in your head that you cannot control, how much time do you dwell on that thought? Recognize first, this is something I can control. This is something I cannot control. And beware of this. Some things we say, well, Angie and I got in a fight and I can't control her attitude. True, but can you control your response to her attitude? Or did an attitude that you have create a response out of her? So there are some things that the enemy will say that's not your fault, that you need to recognize is something you can get better at. I don't care if I ever offend my, if I don't care if I did anything wrong. If my wife feels offended, I'm going to apologize and take the effort. For one thing, you realize apologies never take anything from you. I don't know if you've ever considered that or not. If I apologize, the only thing it ever does is it humbles me a little bit. It admits that I can do something wrong. I can do a lot wrong. I proved that over the years. I want to spend every second. When I say the older I get, I look around at some of you and I'm like, I understand. But the older I get, I'm recognizing that I can't get back any of my time. <laughs> Watching those young people doing fine arts yesterday, I've only been with them for eight, a little under eight years. I can't imagine... Pastor Mark was judging short, short sermon. I can't imagine he's watching Seeger Bear up there give a short sermon. And Seeger was how old when he came? Two, 18 months. We only have so much time that we're given here. Why, in the name of God, would we waste our valuable time dwelling on and focusing on things that God's got. If he's got it, quit dwelling on it. Practice trust. Just practice. Would you agree that if you have a thousand thoughts, if you spend 50 on them on trust, it's probably better than you did last week. That's called progress. You're not looking for perfection. You're looking for progress. Doesn't recovery say amen? You're looking for progress. Am I better this week than I was last week? I love communion because it refocuses us says, remember me in this. You know why we're able to give our thoughts to God? It's because Jesus died, rose again, and is now our advocate to the Father. And he said, hey, Mark, I'll take all that. Don, I'll take all that. You don't have to keep that on you. I got that. It's my choice whether I give it. But I love this recognition because what this reminds me of is that God's truly caring for me and if I will live for him and through his power and through his principles then you know what I'm going to be able to live the life he wants me to live and fulfill that purpose let's pray real quick and then we're going to take communion uh, the guys who I'm not even sure who usually helps if, if I get four guys to come help me Lord Jesus this is about trust Trusting you and your sovereignty and your strength is the focus of where we want our lives to be. We're not in this building this morning because it's Sunday. We're not in this building today because we like what Pastor Mark says, we like what Chris says. It's not why we're here. We are here to grow a closer relationship 
with our Father. And Lord, all these things that the world and that the enemy tries to pile on top of us, you told us, give this to me. You told us in Isaiah that you're going to give us rest. Lord, it's hard to rest when we have so much on our plate. It's hard to be at peace when the enemy has us so wrapped up in fear. It's hard to live in serenity when we worry about everything in our lives. Lord, we've never been taught how to give things to you. We haven't truly been taught maybe until you maybe until we walked into the doors of a church and we heard a sermon from Pastor Mark. And we're like, I'm not sure if I can do that. Lord, I'm asking you this morning to make yourself real in our hearts this morning. Make yourself real.